Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Friday, October 2nd, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 40. This episode is brought to you by Polycultured, our farm resources blog. Help support our efforts by subscribing at www.patreon.com polycultured. We look forward to bringing you more information about sustainable living, small-scale food production, seed sharing, harvesting techniques, and much more. I remember writing my high school history class thesis paper on the water wars, or the idea that the future of the planet's conflict would not be over oil, but rather over access to safe, potable water. I estimated that by 2025, the world would be in deep conflict regarding the right to access clean water. Water has historically been the most common reason for migration, as fresh water is not something humans can go very many days without having. I wish I could say that things would have worked out differently now, but this present moment is the most crucial time for us to take a look at the way we treat our water systems, and who has the power to make decisions about their health, where they are routed to, and who deserves access to them. I've been studying permaculture for a number of years, and there are so many facets to permaculture design, some of which I've discussed in earlier episodes. There is no more important resource than water and the planet has built really amazing systems to deal with water. For example, the topography of the land is important, as mountains capture precipitation, storing water as snow at high elevations, and slowly releasing that water into the rivers below. Designing for water is the key to every permaculture system, no matter the climate. Understanding the topography of the land and how it dictates water flow through observation will oftentimes determine how to move forward with your design. Water represents potential energy, and because we live on a planet with gravity, the place of water's highest potential is at the highest point of your site, or the roof of a building. As long as you have the right roofing materials, you can reroute rainfall into a storage tank for later use. This is essentially what we mean by water harvesting or rainwater catchment. It also really helps to have plants in the ground, as they are the way that water is stored in the soil around your site. We can also construct swales, reservoirs, or ponds to help direct water for storage, depending on its intended use. By addressing the water table with these techniques, you can encourage the growth of trees and shrubs, which may grow food, create habitat for animals and pollinators, block the wind, cast shade, produce firewood or building materials. In turn, these plants prevent evaporation of the water system that you are building, increasing overall absorption and rehydration. The first thing you'll need to do is understand where you are within the watershed. Your water catchment design should take into account whether you have an abundance or a lack of water to begin with, and how to use this resource carefully. The history of water catchment begins in the Neolithic Age, the same age in which fixed human settlements and agriculture became widespread, about 12,000 years ago. Waterproof lime plaster cisterns were built in the floors of houses stretching from the Mediterranean to Southwest Asia, the Arabian Desert, and Mesopotamia. About 6,000 years ago, rainwater catchment was used as water management techniques for dry land farming. Many ancient forms of water catchment have been found around the world, using varying materials from plaster to solid rock and clay. The climate crisis necessitates water catchment. Global warming was, for many years, the mainstream term used to describe the climate crisis, and the term became focused on the mean temperature rise of the Earth's surface. 
However, we must see the climate crisis in the context of the water cycle. Warmer temperatures cause greater amounts of water to evaporate from the land and the ocean, causing the atmosphere to retain more water. The effect of this is multifaceted. Some areas will experience extreme drought, while others will see more extreme flooding, runoff, and erosion. Estimates predict that each degree of temperature rise will result in 4% more water evaporation. This is a huge problem as 44% of the world's people are already experiencing stressors related to clean water and access to water. By 2025, it is expected to rise to at least 66%, and these estimates may still be conservative. In addition to water scarcity, lack of drinking water and proper sanitation, and extreme weather events, we have to contend with water privatization efforts. Water privatization is the act of keeping water utility operations, water management, and ownership arrangements under the control of private parties. Private water companies can increase prices on the water they provide, dictate who is able to receive water and who will have their water shut off, and exclude the constituents from decision-making processes. Poorer, more rural, and more marginalized people suffer the most and get lowest priority to access to clean water while large agricultural sectors and high-class municipalities have priority. This week, CME Group Incorporated announced their $1.1 billion futures contract over California's state water supply, essentially allowing for speculating about the cost of water in anticipation of what Wall Street calls the volatility of water markets. There is a history of criminalizing rainwater catchment systems when under control of private water companies. One of the most famous examples occurred in the 1990s in Bolivia, when an American corporation bought the city of Cochabamba's water utility, raising prices 200% while simultaneously stipulating that rainwater collection was illegal for local residents. To deal with the climate crisis, we need to utilize rainwater catchment and restoration of hydrology cycles, neither of which are favored under water privatization policies. We must fight for access to clean water and water collection as a human right and a public good. The benefits of rainwater catchment. There are an abundance of benefits to these systems, whether they seek to capture rain or other types of water. The first benefit to harvesting water is that it allows you to provide for your own water supply, improving your sustainability and participating in water conservation efforts. It is free and relatively clean, though sometimes filtration is preferred or necessary. It is environmentally and socially responsible. It is not chlorinated and is the preferred water for irrigating plants. It reduces water runoff, subsequent erosion, and solves impaired water drainage issues. It avoids mass water displacement, which disrupts natural ecosystems. Other than the cost, it is inexpensive easy to maintain and regenerative. It can be constructed entirely new or retrofit into existing water systems. It can act as a backup water source as well as a primary water source. It reduces utility costs, both for the individual and for the state's maintenance and expansion of the water grid, which is contributing to the pollution of water supply lines. Water contaminations are more isolated than widespread in these systems. And lastly, it returns water back to the same ecosystem in which it was precipitated on, a net gain of available water supply. Applications for harvested rainwater include drinking water, wash water for showers, clothes, dishes, gray water for toilets, and water for cooking food. 
irrigating crops and landscaping, generating electricity via hydropower, raising fish in ponds and aquaponic systems, growing a forest and maintaining wild places on your land, and protecting against fires, different kinds of rainwater catchment systems. How much water can be harvested? The calculation is one inch of rain by one square foot of surface area creates 0.623 gallons of water. There are a few different forms of rainwater catchment systems, so I'm going to briefly detail them here. The simplest form of rainwater catchment is a rain barrel system. This is typically where a rain gutter feeds into a barrel underneath the drain pipe, funneling the water into the barrel. The barrel usually has a spigot or a plug at the bottom for a hose to be connected to. Barrels can often be free and upcycled to use as a rain barrel, though you should check to make sure the barrel was not used for anything such as chemicals. You'll also need a sturdy lid to keep out insects and particularly to prevent mosquitoes from breeding. At the top of the drain pipe, you'll want to place a sieve to keep debris from falling into the tank, keeping the water clean. The major issue with rain barrel systems is that it has a limited capacity for meeting human and agricultural needs and can be prone to overflow in rain abundant areas. The dry system of rainwater catchment is similar to the rain barrel system, but uses larger sized tanks which are typically located a little further away from the property. It works by siphoning water into the above ground self-contained storage tank at the top of the container. It's called a dry system because the pipes completely empty of water by dumping the entirety of the contents into the tank from the top. The wet system of rainwater catchment places the pipes underground and below the storage tank. In this way, the pipes are always wet and full of water. Multiple pipes are connected to multiple plugs on the building and are funneled underground, then into an above ground or below ground storage tank. This way, the water level in the pipes remains constant even in periods of drought. Rain barrel and dry systems don't require excavation and thus are easier to build as well as having less anaerobic and mosquito issues. But wet systems are more aesthetically pleasing and allow you to keep the water tank further from your home. Components of rainwater catchment systems. You can make any structure into a catchment area, but the most common one is a rooftop. There are a few things to consider about your roof and how it impacts the rainwater catchment system. What is the material? Asphalt shingle or wood shingle are only appropriate for non-potable water catchment. If collecting water for drinking, you'll want an earthen or metal roof in which water can slide down immediately to avoid contamination. What is the slope? This determines how quickly water will move from the roof to the catchment system. Steeper roofs are preferred as they help keep the water clean and do not encourage standing water. What is the square footage of your catchment area? This will allow you to calculate how much water your roof is capable of harvesting, depending on how many average inches of rainfall per year. The gutters and roof drain pipes are known as conveyance. The gutters should be sufficiently wide to deal with an intense storm, at least five inches wide is preferred. For every 100 square feet of catchment area, you'll need an additional one inch of drain pipe and any PVC piping in your system. For example, a 16 by 16 foot roof has 256 square feet. After rounding up 256 to 300, 
your drain pipes should be at least three inches in diameter. To help the gutters drain, slope them 1 16th of an inch per every foot of length. For example, a 16 foot roof gutter should be sloped at least 16 16ths or one inch for effective drainage. The best gutter for rainwater collection is round bottomed, which reduces debris buildup. Gutter hangers are braces that act as supports and should be placed every three feet, especially in areas that get heavy snow. Gutters aren't the only way to collect rainwater though. The design of your building can include a roof which maximizes surface area and slope to collect rainwater and funnel it into an integrated catchment system which creates a water sovereign structure. Storage tanks are where the harvested rainwater is stored for later use. They are best when made of concrete or metal, but you may also use fiberglass or polypropylene or polyethylene plastic. Safety protocol is important around where you place the observation port for your tank to prevent anyone from falling in. Note that the color of your storage tank will affect the temperature of the water. The darker the container, the more solar energy it will absorb. Do not use translucent tanks, which encourage algae to grow. A lot of this depends on whether or not your tank will be below or above ground. Below ground tanks require excavation, but take up less space and maintain a constant temperature all year round. They may crack and become contaminated due to soil shifts and settling. Above ground storage tanks can be damaged by weather, sunlight, but are easier to diagnose when a problem arises. Proper treatment for your captured water is important because it can contain microorganisms like viruses, bacteria, parasites, as well as other chemicals and debris from outside. First off, make sure your roofing material is non-toxic and especially that it does not contain heavy metals like copper or lead. Debris screening filters should be placed throughout the system, from the gutters to the drain pipes and even at the inlet to the storage container. If you are using the water for agriculture, it doesn't need further treatment. But if you plan to use it for indoor tap water, you must have a water filtration system which makes that water safe. Water catchment that will be used for human consumption requires a water filtration and purification board. This is also known as a WOM, a water organizing module. It's like an electrical box, but for water filtration. As new water enters the tank, sediment will become most concentrated at the very bottom and at the top of the tank. Therefore, the best place to draw water from your tank is in the middle. Typically, the filtration system will begin with an inlet from your storage tank with a ball valve. The valve can be used to turn the water on or off in the entire system. The first filter the water will meet is a spin-down filter with a wide mesh, such as 100. Filter mesh number denotes how big or small the holes in your mesh are per linear inch. Filters are also measured in microns as well as mesh. One micron is about 1 25,000th of an inch. Sand is about 100 to 1,000 microns. A human hair is about 100 microns. A particle of dust is about 1 micron. And a virus can be smaller than 0.01 micron. A 400 mesh filter is used to filter out finer particles than a 100 mesh filter. The most important reason to start with a filter is to protect your water pump. Starting with a 100 mesh filter will filter out any large size debris before the water travels to your pump, which increases its longevity. Your pump can run on either DC or AC power. 
but a DC battery will work well if you decide to integrate a solar panel to run the water pump for you. A typical RV pump will handle about 5 gallons per minute. After the pump, you want to install a pressure gauge, which acts as an automatic pressure switch when the pump senses a loss of pressure. Running the tap will cause the pump to kick on. You can set the pump to turn on and off at different pressures, an example being turning on at 45 PSI and turning off at 60 PSI. After the pressure gauge, you'll add another mesh filter, this one more fine than the last, about 500 mesh. After the water flows through this filter, you can add your first two outlets in the form of a 3 quarter inch ball valve. These can be for non-potable water usage, such as washing machines, garden hoses, or toilets. This helps you preserve your drinking water filters for only water you intend to use for drinking or bathing. After these outlets, you'll have another spin-down filter, this time 100 mesh, filtering out even more fine material. And after the last spin-down filter, add another ball valve so you can shut off the water to work on the last filter with the rest of the system intact. The entire system up to this point is pre-filtration for the potable drinking water filter. A solid choice is a six-candle ceramic filter such as the Dalton Rio 2000. The ceramic filter looks like a rock, but it's a low flow material with which water filters through. This is why there are six of them in the system. The filter is measured in microns at 0.9 micron. It's meant to filter out extremely small materials such as bacteria. At the end of your filtration system, you'll hope to get around four gallons a minute. The outlet of the ceramic filter will usually enter your building at this point. There is one more step a UV light purification system. This system is designed to kill bacteria and should always be used at the end of the system. Any water going into a UV filter must have already been filtered through at least five micron or less. The ceramic filter is 0.9, so well within the standards for this purifier. The bulb should be changed annually. The UV filter requires electricity 24 seven and is less likely to leak if you use non-PVC fittings such as copper. Finally, we've reached the end of the water filtration system. The distribution of the water will depend on where the system is being built and for what purpose. A licensed plumber will be necessary to make sure the purified water can then make its way to your kitchen and bathrooms. Integrating water catchment into sustainable buildings. One of the most remarkable systems for integrating water catchment into buildings is the Earthship model. It is a complete cycle system, including its water model. Earthship model homes use considerably less water by using harvested water four times before it is done being used in the home system. This makes it incredibly efficient even in areas with significant drought issues. The system has three parts. The rainwater catchment system, which is designed right into the roof of the building. The gray water system and reuse system. And the black water treatment system. The water distribution system includes a 12-volt DC pump to draw water from the storage tank, a set of filters that filter the water before it's used, a pressure tank that supplies pressurized water to the home, a solar water heater bound for hot water faucets, and a backup water heater, usually gas. The pumps and filters are mounted to a board at least 2 feet wide by 4 feet tall, with at least 2 inches of rigid insulation behind it to mask the noise from the pump. Mount the water organizing module through the insulation and into the wall, 
in all four corners and one center top and one center bottom. Attaching plumbing using hooks and bolts rather than nails or screws so that parts of your system can be detached from the board for maintenance. Other materials used include 40 PVC pipe, glue, thread tape, valves, bibs, tubes, clamps, adapters, and fittings. Brass valves are preferred to PVC valves because of the leakage, though most spin-down filters include PVC flush valves, which can be left alone. The first filter is a 50 to 60 mesh spin-down filter to the pump inlet. Then the pump outlet feeds into a 500 mesh filter. Then the water goes into a pressure tank, which is sized for the water usage of that building. After this, there are two outlets for water that can be used for the kitchen sink and shower. The water moves on through two more filters, the first being a 1000 mesh filter, which protects the drinking water filter, and the second a ceramic filter so that water can enter the kitchen and bathroom faucets for drinking water. Northern Hemisphere Earthship roofs have low sloped roofs that face south. The lower slope helps with maximum rainwater collection so that snow doesn't just fall right off the roof. The south facing roof slopes also help the snow melt to be collected before it evaporates and reduces freezing problems. The system also provides solar heated water by building them into the south side of the house. A pipe inlet supplies the panel with cold water and a pipe at the top of the slope panel carries the sufficiently heated water down to a hot water tank inside the home from which water is directed from them into the insides of the hot water faucets. Natural gas or electric backup heaters are installed for cloudy days. After the filtered water flows through your faucets and you are using biodegradable soap, it becomes what we call gray water. The Earthship has a built-in indoor biological filtering unit. These are usually long horizontal planters going across the south-facing side of the unit. These can be used to grow food and herbs. Once the water is used on these plants, the excess is essentially filtered by them and is able to be used as toilet water. Please check the regulations in your area, as this may be against building codes in regards to reusing gray water. After water is used for the toilets, it is what we like to call black water. Each airship has a black water site on the property, where rubber-lined planters are used to grow soil, trees, shrubs, and other perennial grasses. These are not used for edibles, but to create habitat for local animals and to provide food for pollinators. It will also contribute to reversing desertification in your area. This complete cycle system finds use for every drop of rainwater while making expensive sewage pipelines and treatments obsolete. As water becomes more scarce and unevenly distributed, as it has been across history, this system provides a great deal of modern comfort while being remarkably energy efficient. Barriers to implementing water harvesting. The largest barriers to rainwater harvesting are concerning external forces. The system itself is time-tested and doable. The first thing I'll mention is the lack of control we have over our municipal governments. This means trying to implement a system is more difficult because of local building codes and other restrictions, as well as having little control over the price of water, where it comes from, how it impacts the communities it is taken from, or how it is purified. There's also the lack of land access. Renters cannot easily set up rainwater harvesting systems, even if they wanted to do so. They are not easy to retrofit without ownership. This means that the people most affected by water shortages are also going to have the most difficulty getting their water system off-grid. 
The upfront cost is another barrier to implementing water harvesting. The system could cost between $3,000 and $5,000, making it difficult to implement, though the savings will eventually exceed the costs. All in all, water harvesting is a necessary shift we must all make to stop the assaults on hydrology cycles all over the planet. The practicality of implementing more water-sovereign buildings is complex and based on a variety of environmental, political, economic, and other factors. We must take this into consideration when designing sustainable buildings to fit the needs of each community. Rainwater harvesting around the world. With that said, saying we can't implement these systems is just affirming that we won't implement them. And plenty of places around the world have already done so, so let's take a quick look at them. Since 2001, the Indian state of Tamil Nadu has made rainwater harvesting mandatory to prevent groundwater depletion, and their metropolitan areas saw significant improvement in water levels and water quality. Water harvesting is widespread through the country, including places like Bangalore and Rajasthan in the north. Thailand has the largest population of people utilizing rainwater catchment, about 40%. The government started to promote the idea in the 1980s, and by the 1990s, the public and private sectors had contributed to giving out water catchment tanks to home and business owners. Canada has had several law reforms since the 2000s, which encouraged the use of rainwater harvesting and also regulate its standards. New Zealand, Sri Lanka, China, Argentina, and Brazil also utilize rainwater harvesting for homes as well as agriculture. South Africa is currently studying rainwater harvesting, and Kenya has enough rainfall to supply the needs of its people six to seven times over. Ethiopia could harvest enough water for 520 million people. There is a significant rainwater harvesting potential in countries such as Senegal, Botswana, Malawi, Mozambique, Uganda, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. The Caribbean also uses rainwater, such as in Bermuda and the Virgin Islands, where new construction must include rainwater harvesting. The impact of water harvesting is immense because not only does it deal with water sovereignty and drastically reduces the cost of water, it also restores hydrology of the land you perform it on. And that is an essential process to making these systems work long term. We want to restore natural closed loop cycles in places where they are struggling and to reverse the accelerating effects of desertification. The applications for this could apply to every residential and commercial building and provide plenty for agriculture, but it would present major disruptions to the way the current water system is organized. These battles will be far more difficult than the building or retrofitting of the water harvesting systems themselves. The water crisis is deeply connected to the food crisis because the industrial agriculture system wastes an immense amount of water and other energy. The system is extractive and will continue to provide less and less nutrition. Water shortages already do affect food supplies and result in environmental destruction. Imperialism has become the most efficient way to control access to water, and water has become a commodity, as I spoke about earlier. Water is often under the manipulation of political and economic interests of the elite, which threatens all of us, but most importantly the victims of imperialism, especially in places that are highly fertile, such as Central and South America, the continent of Africa, and many parts of Asia. If we managed our water use wisely and had a properly functioning water cycle, we would provide for the amount of drinking water in abundance of what humans need, not a scarcity. The structure of capitalism necessitates an elimination of the commons, 
and to exploit resources without regard to their limitations or necessary cycles. In 2016, during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests at Standing Rock, LaDonna Brave Bull Allard said, quote, The U.S. government is wiping out our most important cultural and spiritual areas, and as it erases our footprint from the world, it erases us as a people. These sites must be protected or our world will end. It is that simple. Our young people have a right to know who they are. They have a right to language, to culture, to tradition. The way they learn these things is through connection to our lands and our history. If we allow an oil company to dig through and destroy our histories, our ancestors, our hearts and souls as a people, is that not genocide? This to me says so succinctly how water is so much more than a commodity, than a resource to be priced and sold on the market. It is the foundation of all life and human community. It is important to understand that individual water harvesting systems do not solve the water crisis and that our system of social relations between each other and between ourselves and Earth's resource cycles must change in order to solve the current water crisis. If you currently have access to water while listening to this podcast, it's important to note that the water crisis is not off in the future somewhere. It is currently happening and affecting millions of people across the planet. It is from relative privilege that we talk about solutions to the water crisis, but I hope that this was informative and useful in carving out your own micro-communities which can plan to utilize water harvesting and maybe even water power. We must be action-oriented, learn skills of sustaining our communities, and fight collectively for water rights for all. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and comment to let me know how I'm doing. This episode is brought to you by Polyculture, our farm resources blog. We're bringing you information on backyard food production and sustainable living on small plots and in urban areas, as well as information about herbal antivirals and other earth medicines. If you enjoyed this content, please support us by ordering our products at www.polyculture.com order. This concludes episode 40 of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.